Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time, generational conflict between women at work. We all know it's there, lurking, even if we talk about it behind each other's backs. I had one assistant who wouldn't even answer the phone if she didn't recognise the number. She was so used to screening calls. We have different attitudes to communication and perhaps to getting ahead as well. All of the women I've worked with have felt like in their own way, from their own perspective, are trying to help but they're trying based on the information they have and what things were like when they were coming up through the workplace. Coming up, the first of two shows on different generational perspectives at work. So I'm starting this show with the generational expert. Anne Lair is a leadership consultant. She speaks extensively about not only leadership, but the future of work. And as part of that, of course, she's talking about both incorporating women fully into the workplace and about managing across generations. And like me, she's Gen X. I'm smack in my mid-40s, right between two much bigger generational cohorts, the baby boomers and the millennials. Anne spent many years living and working in Africa. And she says in some parts of the world, in more traditional societies, like a lot of African countries, there'll be far less of a pronounced difference in attitude between generations. But in the West, we do have this stratification depending on when we were born and what was going on in the outside world at the time. And the research shows that each generation was shaped by three different types of events, political, technological, and societal. And because of that, we each have a collective understanding, a particular way of thinking and being. So although, yes, we are all Americans. Well, some of us. We have differences. We have more similarities than differences, but we do have differences in what shaped us. So what shaped the boomers impacted how they see the world and see work, which is different than what shaped Gen X, who were born between 1965 and 1980, which is different from Gen Y, who's born between 81 and 2001. And if we as leaders, as colleagues, as people in any type of organization can understand that, we can then make it less of, oh my God, she's making me crazy, and more of, oh, she's just doing the Gen X thing or the Gen Y thing, and we can actually find ways to leverage those differences instead of pointing our finger at them and thinking that they're bad people. She says we just see the world differently. And when we don't account for those different lenses, we clash. Lynn Testoni was born right at the end of the baby boom. She's 53. She lives in Sydney, Australia. She's a longtime journalist. Right now, she's managing editor of a trade magazine. And she says her experience of entering the workforce, which is really different from her young colleagues' experience today. When I started off as a journalist, not many people 
did degrees. They came out of school. They did a, like a cadetship, which is sort of like an apprenticeship. So we were sort of treated like rubbish and we had to learn from the ground up and everyone would correct our work and take us out, yell at us occasionally. It wasn't always fun, but it was character building. Today, the young women she works with come from the most highly educated generation in history. In a good way, people these days are a lot more qualified. They're more thoughtful, they're more mature, they're older when they start. I was only 18 when I started and it's pretty rare I'd employ somebody I don't think I've employed somebody out of school for, I don't know, 20 years. And so they're all like 22, 23 at least. But I do find in some ways they're less mature about practical things. Uh, There you are, I'm going to say young people today. Some young people are are just not good at sort of practical housekeeping things. They, um, They don't know how to wash the dishes or make their own lunches or budget or do some of those things that I had to learn when I was 18 because I had to live out of home. Most people now live at home with their parents until they're a lot older, and that sort of stymies a certain amount of independence, I think. And I find that because they're a bit more mollycoddled, I think, by their parents, and I'm a parent too, so I totally know how that happens, I think they're a lot more sensitive to criticism. She says they could do with a bit of toughening up, but she says there are lots of good things about millennials too. I find that particularly they're less stuck in their ways. They're not stuck in an old-fashioned way of doing things. They can think laterally. They're more likely to speak up, more confident. I certainly was quite terrified about speaking to any of these people because I was yelled at. Now they're more open office. People are more receptive to new ideas and I think they take on a lot more of the suggestions that the younger members of staff have. And she says young women just expect more from their employers and themselves. Certainly in my day, there were certain things as a journalist, a girl, as a girl or a female journalist that I wasn't allowed to do. My boss wouldn't let me do the police rounds. I had to do the school rounds. I did weddings and all those real girly things back then. But now it doesn't make any difference. And I think they've got higher expectations what women can do and that they're more ambitious than I was at that point because I thought there I mean I didn't have any women managers I certainly didn't have any women managers that were parents so I honestly felt and believed back then when I was you know which is 30 years ago I honestly believed it was impossible to be a parent and a senior manager. Which is exactly what she ended up becoming and she says women respect her for her experience she was a pioneer She's mentored a lot of other women, including pregnant ones. She doesn't work with that many young men, but she notices they're more likely to write her off as an older woman, to assume she doesn't know how to use technology, that kind of thing. I do find that sometimes young men tend to treat me more like their mother than young women, who tend to look at me more as a role model or a mentor. Still, there are things she finds odd about this generation at the office. One is their reluctance to speak on the phone. Yes. This is a generation that has grown up on email and I guess they're, they're called digital natives. And I find that they're really not used to dealing with strangers on the phone. They have a lot of connections in virtual ways, but less in real ways. I had one assistant who wouldn't even answer the phone if she didn't recognise the number. She was so used to screening calls, which is what... 
a lot of people do now on phones, like on their mobiles and stuff. And she didn't realise, I had to talk to her, that when you're at work, you answer the phone. You don't wait for it to be somebody you know. And she found that really hard. But it's not just that some 20-somethings are nervous about talking to people they don't know. I've noticed a general reluctance to use the phone as a business tool. So Generation Y, what is it about the phone that you find so objectionable? That's a really good question. Nora Matthews just turned 30. She works in journalism too, but on the business side, the publishing side. I think when it comes to the workplace... It's more about having a paper trail and not a paper trail, obviously a digital trail. It's easier to collaborate and to share and to remember if you have this external brain of everything always being documented. So if you have a conversation with somebody on the phone for a work thing um, and you're both trying to remember later what exactly you agreed on, what exactly you said, if you're using something like Slack, it's all right there and you can just immediately go back to it and even have other people hop in and see what you were talking about and make their suggestions. Um, So as a work thing, I would say that it's an efficiency thing. And as a generational preference, I would say phone is the least useful form of communication because you don't get body language. If you're in front of someone on video chat or in real life, you can pick up on so much more and it's hard to, there's a lot that gets lost in translation if you're only using your voice. Nora works for Gen X women, and she likes them, she respects them, but tensions do crop up. There's some sort of communication breakdown that happens, and I've, I think it might have to do with people who had started their careers and sort of had a foothold in their career before the recession, and people who started their careers during or afterwards just have a very different perspective in the workplace. And we'll get into that more in a minute. Nora says she's noticed a lot of intergenerational angst. It's partly why she's so interested in this topic, as well as because of her own experiences at work. It feels to me like there's a lot of generational flame wars that are happening on the internet right now, where everyone's sort of trying to prod people into, like millennials trying to throw things at boomers and vice versa, and Gen X gets kind of caught in the middle of it. And I don't know if any of that is actually very productive or very accurate. Like, I haven't met the phantom millennial who feels entitled or needs a lot of hand-holding, but I also haven't really met the phantom boomer. Um, I think all of the women I've worked with, and maybe I've been lucky in that respect, have felt like in their own way, from their own perspective, are trying to help but they're trying based on the information they have and what things were like when they were coming up through the workplace. So I've noticed that the women I work for maybe assume a certain level of me trying to climb the same ladder that existed when they were climbing it. Um, And as somebody who, you know, I graduated in 2008, And I was always a super achiever, you know, great grades, graduated with high honors. In any other era, I would have been the immediate scrambling up the ladder person. And I was a janitor for two years. She wasn't cleaning out the loos at the subway station. She was working at a spa. But it 
caused sort of a perspective shift and an attitude shift of how much of my my emotional energy goes into my job or my emotional well-being or my identity comes from the work that I do during the day. And she has this feeling that the women she works for, these Gen X women, they don't get it. They worry she isn't putting enough of herself into her job. And she says it's something that feels like a very woman-on-woman attitude. I don't see it expected of other men of my generation in the workplace or other men in the workplace in general. And it's not so, It's not that it's negative exactly. It's that there's an expectation that there's a confluence between my performance at my daily tasks and my emotional investment in my work. So the men that I work with, for example, are able to you know, get raises and promotions and do a great job crushing their daily tasks and, you know, contributing to strategy and um, hitting their goals. And they're not expected to to engage in the performance of being in love with those tasks. Is what you're saying that the women you work for expect you to be emotionally invested in your work, whereas they don't necessarily expect the guys to be? That's what it feels like. And maybe part of that is they see a little of themselves in me, or there's sort of this mentoring relationship, and and that's what their experience has been. And in some ways, um, especially in the industries that I've been in, if you were starting out on the bottom of the ladder and really had to, you know, pay your dues and scramble and invest all of yourself in climbing that ladder, it requires a certain amount of emotional investment. And they clearly have done that and gotten to a place where things are going well for them, and they want to help me through that same process. But my peers and I look, especially uh, in media and publishing, and we see an industry that's being radically restructured. We see, like, what does it mean to get on the bottom rung of a ladder that's falling down? They're not keen to tread that wobbly ladder, at least not in the same way, making the same sacrifices. And it's not that my friends and I weren't working very hard, but we sort of saw how institutions won't necessarily take care of you in the way that they were once to, once expected to. And that you have to work hard at whatever it is that pays your bills, but that doesn't have to be the thing that... Sustains your soul. Yeah, it doesn't have to sustain your soul. And and it can be that you're a spa janitor writing a novel and bartending at night and taking some copywriting work on the side. And none of those things are who you are. They're what you do. And we're going to talk more about side hustles, that feature of millennial working life, in the next show. I brought up with Nora something one of my wonderful ex-interns told me once. This is April Leslie, who you've heard on the show occasionally. She was working at a particular place and she had this problem that needed solving. But she wanted to go straight to the top, the people who could solve it. She knew that. And she was told, oh, no, you have to go to this person first and he'll escalate it to those people. And she just could not believe what she saw as the level of bureaucracy she had to go through to get something done. She thought this was absolutely absurd. I asked Nora if this is something she thinks about too. Absolutely. Yes. And it's difficult to know whether, because it does feel like, again, the Gen X women who are my my direct superiors, they're the gatekeepers and the enforcers of 
those bureaucratic systems. And so it's difficult to tell sometimes, is it, where is that level of resistance? Is it with my direct superiors? Is it institutional? Is it corporate culture in general that's the problem? Um, it's hard to know where it begins, but it's absolutely something that we run into regularly. And the younger women that I work with are all trying to get everyone on board with using these systems that will make everything faster and more efficient, that will um, prevent there from being silos between different departments and will get people collaborating and really doing what will probably need to be done to bring the industry forward. But again, we're the youngest workers in the workforce and we have the least power and we've been around for the least amount of time. So it's difficult to say to someone who's older than you and who is experienced and who you do respect that there are some things that they're probably getting wrong. And talking of older people and getting things wrong, I asked Nora how she felt about the recent storm over comments Gloria Steinem and Madeleine Albright made about who young American women should vote for. Both women are Democrats. Both support Hillary Clinton. But the youngest female Democrats are much more likely to support Bernie Sanders. During a TV interview, Steinem commented that young women were into Bernie because, quote, the boys are with Bernie. Cue outrage, derision and general nastiness. Former U.S. Secretary of State Madeleine Albright also stepped in it at a rally for Clinton. And a lot of you younger women don't think you have to... It's been done. It's not done. And you have to help. Hillary Clinton will always be there for you. And just remember, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. I think it was not worded well. And I think it was a deep misunderstanding of how women of my generation would hear it. But I can also understand as a younger woman coming up through a workplace that still suffers a lot of gender imbalance and where we're still really struggling through issues that I was raised when I was very young to believe wouldn't exist anymore. And I now see that they do where to be women who have dealt with that their whole lives. I can see where they're coming from. I think that it was poorly said and poorly executed. I think the war that's happened over it is about that same fundamental breakdown of communication and deep misunderstanding. The kind of breakdown that sometimes happens at her office. Next time, we're going to get more perspective from Gen X women and how they see themselves and Gen Y split on attitudes from getting ahead to the approach to parenthood. There's the decisions around the whole concept of having children. And I, I am fairly dramatic with this. Like This was part of why I decided to be a super auntie to my sister's kids, but not have any of my own because I wanted to have that freedom. But she doesn't think millennial women want to make that same choice. We'll hear more from that guest and others on the next show. That's the broad experience for this time. As usual, you can comment under this episode on the website or on the show's Facebook page. 
And if you can kick in a few bucks to support this one woman show, it's easy. Just go to the support tab at thebroadexperience.com. I'd be really grateful. If you can't, but you'd like to support me another way, just leave a rating and a review on iTunes. It only takes a couple of minutes and it helps more people find the show. And a bigger audience can bring a lot of benefits. I'm Ashley Miltite. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.